everyone. Keegan Thompson here with my beautiful wife, Julia Thompson. And we're back with another episode of Her the Nerd. That was a very NPR intro. I liked it. Mm, I do like NPR. Yeah, we've been jamming out to P- NPR lately. The Current is like their music program or something like that. And it's a radio station in Minnesota. And it's so good. I've been listening to it in the evenings while I make dinner. And it's super groovy. I love it. Just yeah. Shout out to NPR. They have a segment, All Things Considered. I can't remember the host's name, but she's great. Yeah. Her voice. Yeah. I remember. I mean, I've been listening to that my whole life. My grandmother always listened to NPR. And so it was always on when I was in her kitchen. Mm. Oh, and how I built this. I like that too. Yeah. It's very nostalgic. Like the little intro music to All Things Considered is like very nostalgic for me. Is that with the trumpet? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. I guess maybe that's where my love of radio comes from, like podcasting like that. Maybe. Anyway, how are you doing, Gigaroo? Good. Had some tacos and some margaritas. Before this, that was fun. Down the street. We've been hitting up the happy hour at Ponce. Ponce? Ponce's? See, I already forgot. Ponce's. Ponce's. Yeah. Yeah, it's a local Mexican place that has really good margaritas and food. And they have a great happy hour. So we walked over. I just, I met him after I got my nails done for the first time in a while, which is making me very happy. Yeah. The other happy hour is a $6 margaritas, big boy margaritas, and $5 for three tacos. They're not called big boy margaritas. Good. No, they're just house margaritas, but they're big. They're strong. They're yummy for six bucks. Yeah, it was good. So you're fueled. We are ready to go for this episode. Yeah, I rarely eat before these. I don't eat a ton typically, so I'm feeling pretty energized because I ate. Yeah, I'm very glad that you eat. You always forget to eat and it gives me anxiety. Mm-hmm. Why do, you, why do you think that is? I don't know. I think the work that I do as a programmer, I think I get into like this flow state often relatively easily. I don't know if it's this subconscious thing or this habit that I formed, but I don't know. I- lose track of time and I just don't think about it it's very odd and then yeah then I think a point comes where like you just I don't know you don't think about it and then you're not hungry and then there's a point of like when you you like not hungry anymore because you're hungry I don't know or maybe you've gone into like starvation mode or whatever or like maybe I don't know but for context I'm doing probably like an average of 16 hour fast maybe 18 hours someday so it's not really out of the ordinary it's relatively common yeah it's so weird i eat like i eat so much more often and more than you and it's so bizarre to me i don't think you eat more than me i just think you eat more frequently than me i think we eat probably about the same if i don't eat more really mm-hmm. interesting you just eat a t- bunch of tiny teeny meals <laughs> and i usually eat just like one big meal with like a bunch of chips and snacks along with the meal yeah that's true it's weird that we don't i feel like we've tried to create dinner time for us so many times and it never works because i've i eat an early dinner and then i have a snack it's kind of my vibe she and eats it, at like 4 35. <laughs> i eat early and then keegan eats super late like at nine o'clock so we're just like a, i probably eat around eight okay but yeah well i think it's a big difference between eight and nine okay yeah, I think I usually eat around 8. Sometimes 8.15, but around 8, I would say. 
But yeah. Yeah, in other countries like in Brazil and Argentina, they heat super late. So there's nothing weird about it. I just, you know, we're just not on the same schedule. Yeah, it's so interesting. Well, I think too, so our schedule, so I start work at 8, around 8.30. And then most of the time, not all the time, but most of the weekdays, I go to the gym with Julia and, you know, just the time to get to and from the gym between like 1130 and I don't know, maybe one, maybe one I'm traveling to the gym, working out and traveling back to the gym. So, you know, it's about an hour and a half, two hours that, you know, that is in the middle of my day. So not that I have to make it up, but I just, you know, you lose steam inside of work that I do. So you have to, you know, it takes about an hour to get back into it and get back into that state of mind. And I'm saying all that to say, you know, I typically, sometimes work past five, five thirty, but it's just because, you know, that, but it didn't have that two hour gap, you know, I'd probably done like four thirty. Yeah. No, you work until at least like seven times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It depends. It depends on how busy we've been really busy this past week or two. So yeah. Yeah. So I know Chris and Jay addressed potential possible exploit that didn't even happen with humble swab. Was a vulnerability. a vulnerability. They addressed a vulnerability. Yeah. So can you explain that a little more and just, you know, because I'm curious to know where they ended up in their discussion because I know that they looked to the community to say what they wanted to do and what they wanted to see as far as result. Yeah. I'll be honest. I didn't see the stream with just Chris and Jay, so I'm unfamiliar. But speaking with them internally, for context, yeah, this was a vulnerability, not an exploit. And the difference is an exploit is someone who was able to act upon a vulnerability in order to create personal gain in some regard. An exploit did not occur. So zero money was taken, zero money was lost from anyone using the application. However, you know, because this vulnerability did exist, they wanted to be very transparent and, you know, they apologized. They're very accountable. Yeah, they're very accountable and, you know, they took the blame, which I respected. It's, you know, it's their company. They didn't have a personal hand in it, so to speak. You know, it was a team effort to build it. So therefore, in my mind, it was a team effort to, you know, we went together, we fell together mentality, but I appreciate their, their accountability and making sure no one in the company or on the team feels attacked that it was their fault. So I think that was the biggest thing that they wanted to illustrate is that you know this was their fault no one else's and yeah just to you know they're going to do better we're going to do better in the future and my guess is that's what they said because that that was what was vocalized internally okay and what were people's responses like what did the community think about it the community was pretty was this the call that i heard that you played in the living room the other day where people were asking Yeah, that was the tail end of it. Okay. The spaces, yeah. Yeah, the community's response, to my knowledge, I'm, I'm sure, I won't say 100%, but I would definitely say the majority of community members in the Algorand space and in the humble DeFi community were very understanding. They appreciated the transparency. You'll often find people trying to hide these things or fix it under under the hood, so to speak, and they'll release you know, this, they'll release this vulnerability that they fixed in this along with 
you know, 20 other updates. So it's kind of buried. You only have to dig for it. And it's, well, it seems a little weird, but you know, Chris and Jay's approach is very transparent. We fucked up. Here's what it is. Take your liquidity out. We're going to fix this as soon as possible. Rest assured this will not happen again. And I, I think transparency is, I think it's the best way for businesses to act in my mind. Well, it seems to me that they took seriously something that was a potential. It was a vulnerability. If someone figured this thing out, it would have been conceivably possible to drain all of the pools. You'd probably have to have a lot of liquidity to do it. Liquidity meaning money, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions to do this, to exploit this vulnerability. So I don't think it was, it's not like you or I, we don't have that liquidity, so we probably couldn't have done it. And this is my understanding. I could be wrong, but it was very possible for someone to come in and drain all the pools that they had the initial funds to do so. Oh, I thought that you, what you had described to me was different. Was that like someone would have to work really hard to make like a hundred dollars or something? Yeah. So that's what we thought. So the initial thought was, you know, you could avoid swapping fees if you had, you know, $2 million. So, you know, the 0.03% fee on humble swap, you know, if you had $2 million, you'd able to get around those fees, which, you know, 0.03%, whatever that is of 2 million. That was the initial thought, but then, you know, upon further research, it was discovered that, you know, it was a little, it was more, it could have, it, it was the vulnerability did involve more than that. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, then that makes sense then. Yeah. So yeah. in software you do these things called postmortems. So you, if there's a problem, you find the problem, you figure out what the problem is and you do a postmortem and it's basically just, you know, a write up an explanation of, you know, this. This is what it was. This is what could have happened. This is what did happen. This is what didn't happen. And yeah, either this all kind of came out in the postmortem. Okay. And so how big of a deal is this to fix? And like, did people say that they wanted to keep using it or to wait until the new version? Yeah. So we advised every single person to remove liquidity because again, transparency. So we. As soon as we found out about this, we disabled the ability to swap and deposit more funds. So you couldn't do that. So the only thing you could do is withdraw liquidity that you might've had on the platform. So that was the initial response because, because again, this could have potentially yeah. lost everyone's money. It didn't, but it could have. And that was the initial action we took. Then our community manager reached out to people and said, this is what's going on. Andrew, you did great through all of this, by the way. And yeah, the, there's, everyone's understanding because again, no one lost money. This was, it's a mistake. Most certainly there's no way around that. But at the end of the day, no one lost money. We were open about it. And, you know, it was, it, it took, it takes five seconds to withdraw your liquidity. So, you know. I have two questions. One, how did you guys realize that this vulnerability existed and two why didn't you catch it before yeah so actually this company Blockshake, they have a token called dfly and they actually alerted chris about this potential thing they said hey you know we're like reviewing things and we think this could be an issue and that's where you know could be an issue started and then you know jay 
looked into it, looked into the code and realized, you know, after some time, after, you know, hours and hours of research, he's like, you know, they're right. If these series of events happen, this is a vulnerability that could be exploited. So we initially found out about it from, from DFly. Why didn't they catch it before now? A lot of people had this question internally about, you know, why didn't we figure this out? And, you know, we made a mistake and it's hard to quantify the amount of things there are to check in an application, especially on something that you don't get a do-over. And when I mean don't do get a do-over, we don't believe in upgradable smart contracts. We can technically have those on Algorand, but we believe in this is what it is. If you're putting in the ability to upgrade, you're inherently voicing concern that there's probably something you messed up. So you have to get everything right the first try. For context, like Google, everyone knows what Google is. Google Chrome has had like hundreds of vulnerabilities that they fixed just in the past like two or three years. But the difference is like they can upgrade or fix these things at any time. It's web two, right? They just push an update and they're not dealing with massive, you know, money, potentially massive amounts of money. So this is not a unique thing. In DeFi with smart contracts, you have one shot to catch everything, to check for every single possible scenario. And this is just something that we missed. It's a mistake, but it's, it's very hard to quantify everything you have to check. It's like, I'm trying to think of an example. Yeah. So I appreciate when companies take ownership and accountability for things. But they never said that this wasn't a possibility. Like this is something where, to your point, it is so incredibly difficult to check for every possible scenario in this application. It's very hard and time consuming. And just like, if you guys waited to run all of the checks, like it would be months and years before this thing launched just and not alone. So I guess I'm just more curious and interested in the current process for checking things and then also saying like give people more grace and slack like especially because no money was lost because there's so much that has to be accounted for and has to be learned about this space and there's so much yet like there aren't tools to hey download this and in one sweep it's gonna like check for vulnerabilities like that stuff doesn't exist in web3 yet and there's just like so much that you guys don't know so I think it's just inevitable with any of these applications and that's just a risk you take in Web3. And I think that just has to be understood along with like the potential gains. Yes, there are risks because this is such a new field and everyone's still figuring it out, even the brilliant, most brilliant people. <laughs> so I just think that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The two things I did want to note though is like this this check for vulnerabilities in web two doesn't exist. You're talking about extremely advanced AI. What again about the Google Chrome example, it's different because they just push updates like whenever they want. So is it still safer in web three to exchange money than web two or? I mean, it, de it depends what you're using. A lot of people would say no. I mean, I think in, if you look, if you look at the sheer number of applications. So there is this website called Rect News. R-E-K-T dot news. And it's literally just news of DeFi products getting hacked. There was one, I told Julie about this, I think it was in the past month, I believe, but the Ronin network, which is responsible for Axie, the 
byproduct of the currency of the game Axie Infinity, which has been wildly successful. Anyways, for example, Roman Network was exploited for meaning this actually happened for 600, I think $623 million, which is an obscene amount of money. But anyways, Rec.News, that's their model. They, they basically just publish, you know, exploits that occurred across all DeFi products across all chains. It's a fun website to, maybe not fun, but it's interesting to see like, holy shit, this is very much still the Wild West. So is it safer than one too? So if you look at, if you look at Rect News and you look at how much money has been taken versus, you know, traditional banking systems in the past year, you compare it web to exploits, meaning online banks like Chase or Wells Fargo to web three exploits like Uniswap or Rona Network, whatever, uh, the amount of money that was taken and is going to be astronomically larger in web three. But to your point, people understand this. Most people do. Th this is very much a high risk, high reward space. It, 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 it boils down to that. Like DeFi was not a word four years ago. So it's, it's, it's the wild west right now. And you know, part of what Reach is doing is they're working on what Julia said, this idea of, you know, formal verification to, to catch everything that, that is possible. But I do want to make two points. So reach is the safest way to program smart contracts. And what I mean by that is when you compile reach lang, the reach language into the bytecode for, for these blockchains, you, it, it does a, a very generous amount of theorem checks for you. And you know, these are things like make sure there's no money left in the contract when the contract is destroyed, you know, that's a clear, easy thing across all contracts. Like you do not want this money to be lost. Like that's something that it will check. And that's something that exists across all applications, but, and when I talk about web two and AI, this is almost impossible to write something that checks every single variance of every single application that every single person is going to write forever. So it's up to the developer to write tests. So in web two, there's a very standardized idea of writing tests for things, a common practice. I don't really like it, but it's a TDD test-driven development where you write tests and then you write the code to satisfy the tests. But the, in that scenario, like I could write the test wrong and it's a false positive. So the test is passing, it's saying that I did it right. But if I wrote the test wrong and the program is actually not satisfying the test, the test is going to show up as positive. So in web three, you can do things to check, but it's up to the programmer to make sure that they are writing the correct assertions or the correct tests. Does that make sense? It's harder in the sense that it's in newer fields that people aren't writing tests near as much as they have for software because web two has been around for, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 years at this point. So we're talking about 40, 50 years versus four. So yeah, so I, I did want to point that out because I feel like a lot of people might say, well, I thought like reach was the safest way and you know, that this has nothing to do with reach reach functioned as expected for humble swap. It was the development programming error. So was it your fault? 
No, actually, no, I didn't write a ton of the smart contract. It's still its fault. It doesn't yeah, matter. No, I was just teasing. No, but I mean, it is my fault because I look at the, that code a lot. And I could have seen it. And for context, the fix was like, it was like three letters. I feel like we're just, you know, things like this are going to happen. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, Chase, Wells, they, they, they have vulnerabilities probably 50 a year. I mean, it, yeah. it's silly to like it. And it, it, it's, that's, that's a grief to say you would never, but we will not make this specific mistake ever again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's neat. So one thing that we haven't talked about yet is a follow-up on Keegan's NFT. So, uh, an artist used Keegan as inspo for an NFT and it went up for auction. Did you win it? Mm -mm. No. We lost? How did you lose your own NFT? She was up like $500 USD. Shoot, who got it? Do you know? It's just a wallet. I don't know. Dang. Well, maybe one day we'll buy it back. Maybe it'll be a more fun story that way. Yeah. <laughs> cool, but did you like him? Describe him. Describe who? The NFT. Yeah, so it was a... It was released in conjunction with the humble swap release date. So, which was last Monday. Yeah, the 28th. Yeah, so it, it, it was last Monday. It was released around that time frame where the auction went live. So, yep, it was a humble swap mech. Mech meaning like you can think of like Gundam wings, sort of. It had a little bit of like animation, which was cool. And then. Looks like a transformer. Yeah. I don't know what a mech is. And then the, it was paired with the driver of the, the mech, the Gundam wing-esque thing, which was me, an NFT of me, like a very modern Japanese art style. It was really cool. I mean, I love, uh, his name's Andrew Doxon. I don't know if he's on Twitter, but anyways, he goes by Algo House and he's, uh, He's amazing. I've been buying his stuff for shit, I guess like six, seven months now. Talked to him a few times. Awesome dude. Uh, yeah, I was very grateful and, you know, went for a decent amount of money. So I was pretty, pretty chill. How have your investments done? Yeah, they're doing fine. Nothing extraordinary. I mean, compared to investing in the S&P, they've done great, but I think it's a pretty low bar. So they don't fine. It depends on the U.S. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Oh, wait, have you ever, have you gotten the airdrop from Ukraine? I don't think so. Okay. Cause you get like a notification, right? Or an email? I don't know. I was just in MetaMask the other day. I didn't see it. Interesting. But didn't Instagram come out with something? Uh, Instagram's going to come out with the NFT? Yeah. So Instagram said that they're excited about the, I don't know. I, I'm paraphrasing, but they're excited about, uh, they're looking forward to integrating NFTs into their application. And I think this is a big move, whether you think NFTs are dumb or the greatest thing on the planet. I just think this level of adoption is going to be huge. You're talking about one of the most used platforms for millennials integrating this technology that probably most haven't heard of. I think that's just an incredibly bullish sign long-term. And I think. I think I said this in one of the episodes 
previously, but I, I think 2022 is going to be the year of like mass adoption. I think you're going to see a lot of people, a lot of wealthy individuals, a lot of big corporations, a lot of entertainment people. I think you're going to see them use some kind of web three technology because once you understand the possibilities of, of the products of web three, there's so many applications. And I think 2022 is going to be the year of realization, if you will. So yeah, but Instagram, I, I think that's going to be huge. If they do it, I don't know I can't tell the future, but they've mentioned it. They mentioned NFTs a few times in the past couple of months. So I would be shocked if they don't do something. It will it fail maybe, but either way. So will the images on Instagram be NFTs or something? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have no idea. I mean, it could be, you know, it could be IP, intellectual property. You know, it, it, could, it could be like a licensing tool. It doesn't have to be JPEGs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there's, and that's, that's what people don't understand is the, there's so many utilities for NFTs. It's not just this cartoon image. There's just so many things that, that this technology can be used for that with ease of use that haven't been previously. And Chris, my, my boss, the CEO of Reach, I, he said it very eloquently. What blockchain does is it, it expedites verification 100 fold. So anything about everything that requires verification today, right? Like Instagram verifying that you're per the person you'd say you are verification, ensuring you're this person to get this bank account verification, ensuring you're the person that holds the title of this car verification. You're the person that holds the title to this house. There's just so many things when you have to give like a, a utility bill to verify that you live at this location. There's just so many things. And if I was Instagram, what I would do is yes, I would capitalize on this movement. I would, you know, having an idea to, when you upload a photo to Instagram, giving them an option out partner with like Luxray or OpenSea or something, whenever you upload it, you can pay a whatever, $2 premium and mint an NFT. And as a byproduct of that, whenever you see it, you can, uh, you could buy an NFT. So when I scroll into the feed, it might have like a little NFT symbol and you could click on it and buy it. Maybe, you know, that goes through OpenSea on the back end, or maybe they're talking straight to the blockchain. It doesn't matter. But that's an easy win for me in my mind. Something else that I would do is, is IP. Like if you want to use an Instagram image, you need to buy the rights to it. And the rights in this case would be represented as an NFT. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's going to, I think. So maybe it could even make the industry on Instagram bigger for like every industry. Web3 is going to make every industry bigger and more trustworthy. 1000%. I'm not saying it's gonna happen tomorrow, maybe in five or 10 years, maybe it's 20 years. Transparency is the next thing. It's what the next yeah. generation will want. It's what I want. It just seems so obvious to me. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's so interesting. You were telling me how BlockWorks that a lot of the tweets were just about different VCs validating crypto. Yeah. So whether it was validating or, you know, investments, I mean, you're seeing once again, 2022, I think it's going to be the year of mass of maybe not mass adoption, but exponential adoption. And Why do you think that is just because more people are understanding how powerful it is? Yeah. I, just, I think education, I think, you know, there's more and more platforms being built on you know, with Bitcoin, you have the Lightning Network, which makes it very fast. I think it's intriguing. People are able to leverage that to build platforms on Lightning to accept and do things with Bitcoin that previously weren't that possible. You're seeing 
extreme amounts of applications being built on Ethereum. You're seeing smaller chains and protocols like Near explode. You're seeing Algorand gain a bunch of traction. There's just, it's just a growth. And I think it's getting, it's, we're, you know, like in an exponential curve, we're, I think I said it a year ago, but yeah, I think 2022 could be the year like where we hit that, you know, exponential velocity or everyone is like, holy shit, this is fucking, this is cool. Because like, once you, once people truly understand the tech, it's going to blow their faces off of what is possible. Things that you previously couldn't do, or it was very difficult to do. Again, going back to verification, just think about every single thing that requires verification. You can do that in seconds with blockchain. We're watching this show called Makes on HBO, and it's about journalism, essentially, in the 70s, 80s. No, I think 70s. And basically, this woman can't get her feminist magazine published because it's a male-dominated industry. And so this is like a woman breaking into a field or trying to make her way and have her voice heard by any means necessary. And I'm just so intrigued by people who are willing to do things in a weird way and be the first at something and like pioneer something that doesn't exist yet and do something outside the box. I really admire that. And I feel like, you know, you have a friend who started a, a magazine almost about like book three. And I think it would be so cool to start a magazine in a DAO because then like everyone, a part of it could contribute, like whether it's pieces, whether it's ideas. Like they can vote on what they want to hear about. Magazine DAO would be so much fun. Like everyone who is a part of it can like take part in the photo shoots. Yeah. So interesting fact about Monarch. We actually, we had a, it wasn't a debate by any means, but it was just a discussion about what Monarch might be. What, what is the use case for it? Why would people want to use this? Anyways, we had this discussion internally at Reach and it was very interesting. And to Julia's point, like the, I do think, you know, the more that I've been researching and thinking about the house and the structure of Monarch, like I don't, I don't necessarily think a lot of things should be DAOs. Like in Julia's magazine example, I'll be honest. I don't know, like, why do you need a DAO to do that? Well, it'd just be cool to have a community that everyone has equal one you have stake in it so its success is like you benefit from but why can't you just raise money to crowdsource because that's the whole point of like a down it's easy to vote on things it's very transparent it's very but why do you need a doubt to do i don't understand to like manage all of the inner workings of it like how people get paid how much you know stock you have in it and what your votes are and how many tokens but, you have but you can use tokens and not have a DAO. That's what I'm saying. You could just, you could basically what you're saying is you want to be able to calculate ownership and distribute funds according to the ownership. Those seem and to have like joint, so like have the ability for everyone to have a say in every part of it and it'd be very transparent. That's what I thought a DAO is. Maybe I'm not understanding what a DAO is. No, it, it, it is, but I guess what I'm saying, you know, I mean, I guess I could see both ways. But you could accomplish all of that today with just like a token. But I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting question. A magazine does make sense because you would have perpetual proposals. I think, actually, I'm 
So if I, I have a magazine, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's what Steph's building with, I think we talked about it, but yeah, that's effectively what she wants to do. Yeah. I think that idea is so good. I think that's so cool and interesting. And I'm just trying to think about how it would work and what it would be about things like that, because I think there is a lot of opportunity. So the, uh, so a DAO is literally just, if this happens, this. Yes. Okay. It's like it, because you got to think in. Then how is that an organization? Like if it's just. That's all organizations are. That's all they are. That's what, that's what organizations do. Nonprofit organizations, they decide where money should go. What are we funding? Where is this allocating? How much are we paying this person? So it's very transactional. Yes. Okay. So if, if, if there's any creative aspect to it, it doesn't really make sense. If, if it's qualitative, not quantitative. It, it, it no, well, that's not exactly true. I mean, I guess you can say in the context of high-end fashion DAO, we'll go in the, we'll go in the perspective, like you want to make high-end fashion and you want to hire this designer that's fucking sick from Japan. You would have a proposal to, Hey, she costs a million dollars a year. We want her for six months. I'm, I'm proposing that we pay her $500,000 a year. Does that make sense? And then everyone has to agree. And then based on the ownership of execute. So that's, there's like an intersection between. Yeah. Does that make sense? So basically you could just utilize this function to make verification and security better in transactional or. Yeah. But you know what? I think you're traditional. right. The more that I'm thinking about it, you could definitely have creative aspects to it because you could. Yeah, that's true. Because in, in this, in this sense of fashion design, maybe you have a proposal to hire this Japanese designer. Cool. She's hired. She is likely going to give you several options for the next t-shirt. And the community would vote on that t-shirt. I guess it is. But the, how many tokens you have, you automatically get sent X amount of products every like month that you're subscribed. Yeah. I think some, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, I think the point that I'm getting at is I think most people today want to create a DAO because they want to create a DAO, but not understanding why do they need a DAO. Right. And that's what I'm getting at. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The points you made, I think that. It, to me, probably ask someone else, they probably disagree, but I think that is, I think it actually does make sense in high end fashion, Julia Dow. I'm just kind of trying to piece together things that I'm interested in or would want to see in Web3 as far as decentralization and making things more secure and anonymous. And those ideas to me seem interesting in the form of like a magazine of a set of you know, a specific interest. So I, I guess I'm just still learning about all of it. And that's why I think I have to bring it up to you. Yeah. To be clear, I could be wrong. This is just, I can only speak of my opinion. It doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't it mean it's wrong. It's just my opinion. So. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know it well enough to be able to specifically say what it could or couldn't do. But no. Yeah. As I said, I think you're in the case of a high end fashion DAO, like we illustrated, I think those, I think it does make sense to. To a large degree, now that I'm thinking about it. So. Okay. Okay, gosh, and get on the Dow train. Something that I'm excited about is, I think this is going to foster even more entrepreneurship because I do think with regulation or not, I think DAOs are going to even further embrace this idea of entrepreneurship and creativity because you'll be able to, 
you know, quote, easily, end quote, raise money via tokens for this thing, whether that's being a part of a DAO or your crowdfunding via token. There's no global barrier, right? It's borderless. So I think that's what I'm most excited to see is in, in DAOs in the future is just fostering and funding and supporting creative people and creative endeavors. But yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it'll be cool to see how this comes together. I'm just throwing shit at the wall, seeing if it sticks, you know, <laughs> you can tell me if it sticks or if it slides. Yeah. Very cool. What else have you been working on? This gastropolitan machine. What? It's like a vending machine. It's essentially a smart contract where you put in Keegan token. I have a hundred Keegan tokens that I give out Keegan tokens to a hundred people and you can interact with a smart contract and burn one of your Keegan tokens and get dope NFT at random from that. Oh, okay. So yeah, I've been working on that. That's been fun. It's been pretty challenging. Anything else fun going on? Oh, the music thing? Yeah. Yeah. So this isn't a part of Reach. This is something I'm doing on nights, but it's, it's this idea of music ownership, true ownership, meaning every, I'm working on a platform where each NFT points to a song. And to be transparent, to start, the song will be centralized, but you won't be able to access that song without holding the NFT associated to it. So you physically can't listen to, to a song unless you own the NFT. That's V1. Version 2 is you will have the optionality to lease or rent that NFT, if you will, where you can get paid a royalty for listing it on the, you know, the explore page. And then... For every play, you get a percentage of the revenue of the platform based on the plays. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. It's an interesting concept that uh, we've gotten away from. So unlike other forms of art, like painting or sculptures or whatever, physical mediums, you don't really own music anymore, right? You don't, you don't buy CDs, you don't buy albums. Some people do, but I'm, you know, talking about the masses. Most people have a Spotify account, including myself, and I just stream on Spotify, which is amazing. I love what Spotify has done, especially their data aggregation and ability to recommend new music. That's amazing. But the idea of like ownership of music has really completely fallen by the wayside. And I don't know, I think there's this hybrid of being able to stream, but also reward people monetarily for their excellent taste in music and reward people for being early, you know, the hipsters as people were called. So I you, guess they are. Yeah. I found that artist when they were just starting out. Yeah. And who gives a fuck? Who cares? But it's like, yo, bro, I was in it. No, he, people care about that. Yeah. But, it, but now it's like, holy shit, I can prove, you know, no. like it's a, I can prove it. And B it's like, oh shit. Did you have the first NFT from, from little Julia? That holy shit. She exploded. Like it's probably worth a lot. And like. Yeah, you know, so I think that idea. Yeah, yeah. So that's like the main goal of what I want to build. And it's still shaky. There's still a lot of things I'm working out. I wonder, I've got a couple ideas. So I wonder if, okay, so one aspect of it can be you can go on there and you can buy the song technically or buy the NFT that lets you play the song. Yeah. So that's one way that the artist is making money. Mm -hmm. 
but a way to invest in the product in a way that you get returns, does that mean that like this application would have tokens and people could buy in to the tokens and then they could fund artists directly using the token? Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's a full suite of things that I want to do. I'm just speaking of version one. I mean, ultimate, I mean, ultimately, there's some technical limitations at this point in time, but so I to answer your question, ideally one, each song would actually be a smart contract that holds the, the data for the song and that smart contract th that would, that could be an NFT as well, right? That smart contract would keep track of the plays of the song. So by virtue of you holding it and you know, that the industry, other platforms adopting the standard for music, NFTs. You know, it doesn't matter where you fucking played this thing. You, it's keeping track of the plays, therefore giving royalties to the artist, maybe some to the holder. That's my grand vision for the, for the NFTs right now. They're just ASAs. Lastly, too, to your point, yes. What, in my mind, what I would like, what I want to scale this to be one day is, you know, it's a DAO. This is essentially, I would like for it to become a decentralized music label. So, you know. You would join this DAO via, I don't know, music token or whatever it is. And by virtue of you own, owning that, you're able to, artists can come in, you know, very Shark Tank style, but it's all in a DAO. So they come in they play their music. They say why, whatever. And then the DAO, the, the, the token holders are vote like, Hey, dude, yeah, we all love your stuff. Here's whatever he's asking for, 50 grand, hundred grand, 500 grand. Yeah. And maybe in return, the DAO gets 1% of the royalties for the future. But, but yeah, to, to your point, that's what I want to scale this to be. That when you're building a product, you have to, you really have to keep realistic milestones because this is, that's just so way out there. But that's absolutely what I want to do ultimately is turn this into music DAO. That's a yeah. stupid name, but you get the point. Yeah. Well, you've been just asking me lately, like, hey, what should I do from here? Or what should go here? Or what makes sense? And for me specifically, it helps for me to know the grand vision and to keep asking you, like, why? What do people need from this when they come onto this application? Like, what do they come here for? Like, what do they need to look at? And then we got into this whole conversation about since there's no KYC or storing of your information, no algorithms like suggesting things to you, how do people find new music? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, there are so many questions and new ways of thinking about things with Web3 that it's so interesting. Yeah. And, and challenging. Yeah. And what my response to Julia was, you know, this, maybe it's this idea. I use the example of you walking on the street, you're driving your car, it's when there's a window roll down and you hear a song like, oh, that's fucking sick. Or you're walking on the street and imagine every house is playing music and you're like, oh, that's cool. This house is, you know, walk in and you could bring that to the metaverse. And yeah, so I think making discoverability more of an active thing. And, and to be clear, you could check. Just because there's no KYC, you could check what others are listening to because you could algorithmically get data from if you're, if Julia's wallet, ABC, and I see that she's bought, she has NFTs one, two, and three, and I have NFTs two, you know, I could look at this wallet. It, I don't know. It's Julia about no wallet, ABC. Does that make sense? No. Just because I don't know your name. If you went and told everyone your name is Zilgo and... <laughs> And you never gave any identity and I come up to you and I'm like, Hey, Zilgo, like, what are you into? 
you would tell me, and it'd be like, oh, I just check that out. I just because I don't know anything about you, you, you I know you as Zilgo, but I, yeah, I could... so you would find things by finding other people and then asking them what they're listening to. But you, you could do that algorithmically as well. Oh, just be like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is in Spotify's database, instead of you being Julia logging with Facebook, you would be Zilgo. Yeah. Okay. So you can still do the same. It would be referenced by NFTs. Okay. But the beauty of that is that you're not giving them personal, they can't fucking email you a million times or text you a million times or give you ads on this platform you're sending it with. That's the beauty of it. Yes. Okay. There we go. So that makes sense? Yeah. I'm there. Okay. That sounds dope. Yeah. It's going to be cool. Are you excited for Vegas? Yeah. Head to Vegas, baby. Yeah. Tomorrow morning. Never been. I'm going to gamble. I'm pretty excited. Keegan was saying that it's probably going to be super humid. And I was like, wait, Keegan, we're going to the desert. But I actually have no idea. Maybe it will be humid. Yeah. You're probably right. It's probably not. <laughs> yeah, I've always imagined it in just like the middle of the desert. Which I'm cool with. I like it dry out here. It's nice. Anyway, yeah, it's my first time there too. We're going with Keegan's parents to celebrate his 30th a little bit early. So it'll be an awesome time. Yeah, it's only an hour flight and... I was saying earlier that it's going to be so nice to be on a short flight because these days, like, I just fly across the country, basically, like Nashville, Florida, New York, like, those are really long cross-country flights. And so I'm excited to just fly you for now. West Coast destination. I know. I need to. We were talking about that. I realized it's just because everywhere you went was, was close by because of where you lived. What do you mean? Because you were saying... I like living in Nashville because I didn't have to fly very far to where I went. But I'm saying you'd have to fly very far because you grew up in Nashville. So the places you were going to go were near you. So I'm saying if you grew up in San Diego, the place, it would be the opposite. Yeah. Does that mean well, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I wasn't going out to California when I was younger because we had no reason to. So it's just, right. yeah, it's just, I guess, yeah, ge geographical relations. That's where people disperse to. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense too. But anyway, regardless of why, it's going to be nice to just be on a short flight because it's a lot less tiresome to imagine flying if you're not going very far, at least for me, because I have a little bit of anxiety flying. I digress. But yeah, what are you looking forward to in Vegas? I don't know. I'm excited to gamble. I'm excited to see Vegas, just the atmosphere and the energy. I think it's going to be pretty palpable. So it'll be fun. It'll be a good time. Do you have a spending limit? Yeah. I mean, I have to probably limit it like 200 bucks. Do you have a strategy? No. I used to, I researched how to count cards when I was younger, but I don't remember any of it. What games are you going to play? I like to play a lot of, I'd like to play everything. I mean, I'll probably just walk in and just start playing one thing, look at the next thing, look at the next thing, look at the next thing. I feel like I'm going to be over gambling after like 30 minutes. Yeah, maybe. Because we're just, we're so different when it comes to like games and things like that. Maybe me and your mom will just go shopping or walk around. Yeah. Julia doesn't really care about winning. I love to win. What? I care about winning. I'm just not super competitive. It means you don't care about winning. Okay. Well. I like to win. So I think it'll be fun. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to report back on all of our escapades and... Yeah, I'm excited. It'll be a good weekend. It'll be a nice little getaway. 
and our dogs are staying with some friends so yeah it'll be pretty sweet i'm i'm gonna miss our house though i feel like we barely settled in yeah in three weeks i'll be gone for a week do you like it yeah amazing 10 out of 10 would recommend mm -hmm. cool well thanks for hanging out with us for another episode of her and the nerd we'll catch you on the next one bye